cliffcentral.com. All right, let's uh, take our, our leave from this conversation quickly. Turn our mm-hmm. attention to Jean-Jacques Cornish for African Analysis. It's brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, looking at what's happening around the African continent. And our talking points this morning begin in just a second, but here he is. JJ Cornish, how are you, sir? Bonjour to you. I'm very, very well, thanks. Kind of you to ask, though. So, JJ, um, <clears throat> it's, it looks, uh, yeah, it looks kind of dark in there. It's very sinister, your lighting. I like it. Uh, you, you, you look like you're, <laughs> you're getting ready to play the villain in a movie. Oh, there hey, we go. Yeah. Well, Clarice. I certainly <laughs> should be. Do I look like Boris Karloff? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm you, so I don't know my way around as well as I should. Where in exactly. Africa? Where in Africa yeah, are you? In Africa. Let me uh, let me try that. There we go. That's better. There we yes, go. That's okay. Rock so where roll. are you? Where are you at the moment? I'm in Cape Town. Okay, very good. All right. So mm. JJ, let's uh, let's get straight into it. There's lots to talk about today. Uh, Peter Obi. Who is Peter Obi? He is the legal challenger for Nigeria's election. And he says that the winner, a guy called Bola Tinubu, was not eligible to run. He questions the process of the outcome. So who is this Peter Obi and what's the story here? Well, you know, the Nigerian elections are generally two horse races. And this should have been Bola Tinubu from the ruling party and Atiku Abubakar, who is a six-time loser. Peter Obi came in uh, and as the third man and, and won a, a remarkable number of votes. In fact, he won the majority of votes in the economic capital, Lagos. Now, he is disputing this on legal grounds, the election result. And mm-hmm. uh, this was a very, it was a controversial election as Nigerian elections tend to be. Nigeria is one of the few African countries, I can think of Zambia, I can think of Ghana, where they've actually had changes of government. It had military rule until 1999. Sunny Abacha died. Um, we had Olusugano Basanjo coming in, who's an African statesman of note. He's all over the continent. Followed by Umar Yaradua. When he died, good luck. Jonathan came in. And when he uh, fell, the, 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 the parties changed. And uh, Mohamedou Bahari, who came in in, uh, in 2015, and he's been there until now when, when uh, Bola Tinubu came in. Now, observers said uh, that the elections were free and fair, or some did, but others, for example, the European Union, uh, the American uh, observers from various foundations, and um, they, they all said that the elections had betrayed the people, effectively, not been a fair reflection of the people's will. And uh, it seems that Umaria, that Tiku Abubakar, the person who came second from the uh, PDP, uh, Progressive Democratic Party, he is also going to dispute this. So that okay. leaves Nigeria in a bit of a state of flux, you know, with everybody disputing the elections in what is we call Africa's most uh, economic power, economically powerful country. We, we, there's an argument about that, whether it is... South Africa or Nigeria, but it's a country with grown-up problems of its own, doesn't need to have this, and certainly the continent itself doesn't need to have this kind of battling for uh, legitimacy. Uh, so, JJ, I mean, the guy who we're talking about here, Peter Obi, he's the guy who came third. 
he he came third. Yes, indeed he did. But he did have so, the backing of uh, Obasanjo, the former president. Uh, okay, and, and it, it like was a surprise that he came that he did so well. I think there was something like um, eight candidates at the end, or eighteen candidates uh, at the end, uh, and and only these three got anything like uh, 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 the number of votes that could bring them to power. You've been an election observer in a number of countries, and you've seen these countries up, you know, close and personal. Do you think that the European Union election observers have a point here that this might be a rigged election? You think that Peter Obi has a point here? Is this something that we need to be worried about here? Well, certainly it seems that the Electoral Commission, independent Electoral Commission, uh, could have done their job better. And that is certainly the point being made by the uh, American uh, bodies that were sent there as observers. You know, it's interesting the fact Observers go in something like two weeks before. There are long-term in, in a team of observers. There are those who are there for a period to see that the run-up to the election was fair, that the access the parties got to the media was fair, and then they go for a period thereafter to see that the handover is uh, fair and free. Uh, and, and that phrase, free and fair, by the way, is very seldom used by the observers themselves. It's a media phrase, you know, that they have been declared free and fair by XXX. But generally the observers, and that was the, what I was with the teams, you go for about two weeks before you get briefed uh, up the wazoo. I mean, it's a fantastic thing to do because you cannot believe the uh, access you get to party leaders, uh, analysts, all sorts of people that you as a single journalist would really struggle to get. And they look right. around. But... The observers have been wrong in many cases because, you you know, if you go in for two weeks before, you observe on the voting day and then then there's a sort of rush to get your uh, report out, you know, sort of like, like a rush between journalists to get their story out. And sometimes right. that is a little precipitate to get the um, uh, report out first. Well, it's an interim report. There's a full report that comes out a couple of months later. So, yes, it's possible that there were some mistakes made, but I think with the uh, plethora of uh, doubt from the European Union and American observers, uh, and British observers too, for that matter, I think there's some case to be made for looking at it again. So, JJ, what's happening in Senegal? Because um, the, the, the current president is trying to run for a third term and there's a two term constitutional limit kind of like South Africa. Um, is, is this just again, one of these stories of someone overstaying their welcome in Africa? Yes, indeed it is. It is. Macky Sall uh, has actually said now on French television, uh, Senegal really is a, a, a creature of, of the, of the French uh, government in Africa really obeys down the line, the or takes down the line the French approach to things. And he's told uh, TV Sank, uh, France Television 5, that uh, there's, there'd be nothing wrong with standing again. But there is this constitutional two-term thing. And, uh, you know, it would be very, very disappointing because when you read about that, and I had a look again to see, for example, which countries in Africa had, had an actual change of government. It's all very well to have your election every five years and then re-elect the president or his or her successor when it comes up. 
But if you have an actual change of government and that is accepted, that's true democracy in my view. And uh, Senegal is seen as a real democracy, as a bastion, along with countries like Botswana and even our, our own country, South Africa. But in this case, uh, his remarks are troubling. But his behavior is even worse because the opposition leader, uh, his name is Usman Sonke, he uh, has been charged with, the, uh, 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 what, what do they call it, defamation of the information minister. Now, these wow. defamation charges have been brought against him, and he's supposed to come to court, but his, uh, his supporters are saying, no, this man's not going to court. Basically, he's maintaining that they're trying to get a conviction against him to prevent him from being able to run. That would exclude him from being able to run. And um, so, in other words, disqualify him as a candidate. And he has been... <laughs> There have been massive protests and stone throwing and police attacked and so on, which is unlike what has happened before in Senegal. So again, a disturbing trend in a, in a supposed democracy. But from his hospital bed, Usman Sonke has accused the government of a strategy of terror and of brutal attacks. He's saying that he was sprayed with this toxic substance. He sent his clothing off overseas to be properly uh, checked and analyzed. But uh, and and Macky Sol hasn't responded to these claims of violence against him. But uh, again, a, a disturbing trend. So I've had two disturbing so, uh, electoral trends in Africa to report to you today. It's like he's been poisoned. This is unbelievable. Uh, and and he's he's gone to hospital. He got so sick. It's unbelievable. Yes. This is wild. Okay, so Senegal uh, continues. It proves of credibility to. If you're going to claim assault charges, to do it from your hospital bed, huh? Jesus, unbelievable. All right, so let's look at uh, one other thing quickly before we move on. Uh, Kenya has received a donation of 140,000 tons of wheat from the Ukraine. And you would think that Ukraine at the moment has bigger priorities and maybe they need the wheat for themselves, who knows. But Russia has got involved in this and said, no, 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 Kenya, we will give you even more. Uh, if you don't side with Ukraine, what's actually going on here, JJ? Well, you know, when you see, why is everybody going after Africa to get their support? 55 of the 193, 196 countries in the United, 193 countries in the United Nations. So that's a quarter of the UN. So if you get African support for votes in the General Assembly, votes around the place, votes for particular offices that come up, then, you know, you're well on your way with a quarter of the votes. So so the Ukrainian donation is an interesting one. Uh, they're playing for friends as to, to the greatest extent possible. The Kenyan deputy president, Rigati Gunshan, he went and got, the, he, he's received this and will give it to the neediest people, I suppose, in Kenya and in neighboring countries. But in that big, big summit between uh, Xi Jinping and uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday, uh, mm-hmm. Putin spoke out and said that Africa was a Russian priority. Now, you know that grain has been allowed to be shipped out of the Ukraine uh, to African countries. Uh, that been, uh, there's been the uh, uh, permission and then an extension. And what Putin said, uh, Putin, the man who's now wanted by the International Criminal Court for war crimes, by the way, he said, look, if we don't extend this special compensation or special permission for the allowing grain, 
we will, as Russia, give, donate that amount of grain that's already been sent to the neediest Africans. So that, that could be seen as a bit vague. And if you understand Putin, I think it, it is a bit vague. But nevertheless, both Ukraine and Russia playing for African support in this regard. You know, I wouldn't say for a moment that the humanitarian aspect, the fact that Ukraine has, uh, the, the, the invasion of Ukraine has driven up prices, stopped a lot of the grain getting to the people who need it most. Uh, right. That's not foremost in their minds. I think it's to try and get those 55 African countries to support them. And that hasn't been the case. You know, the United Nations General Assembly resolutions, our own South Africa, but, uh, abstaining in a case like that rather than vote uh, for anything condemning that Russian invasion. Yeah, these uh, these two powers are definitely vying for support from Africa, but it looks at this point like Russia is getting the lion's share of that support. Um, China and, and Russia are definitely trying to ally themselves with as many African countries as they can. Where does this leave our foreign uh, department, our, our international relations department, uh, JJ, you've you've been paying attention to this for some time. Uh, Naledi Pandor, our minister, got into trouble a while ago for saying that uh, you know Ukraine deserves our support and Russia's the aggressor, and she was hauled over the coals by the the president. I mean, what do you what do you think is really going on in our, our administration at the moment when it comes to foreign affairs? Well, you know, we, we hold moral high ground in terms of still to, to a very large extent, we hold the moral high ground because of our change, our transformation from apartheid, relatively sure. peaceful, not entirely peaceful. Well, you know, we, certainly, we, certainly, we certainly used to. I mean, whether or not we've still well, got that. To, a, to, a, to some extent, we really still do. I'm not saying it's well deserved, but it, it, it is a factor. And, and so... Uh, to have the, the powers vying for our support is perfectly understandable because if South Africa says this or that, uh, people do sit up and listen. Uh, you know, not to, uh, certainly not my, my clients in Britain and France anymore. They don't even take stories from me about corruption because they say, well, you found us last week with a story of major corruption. How, when are you going to change the story? <laughs> it's very, very frustrating covering the country. But wow. diplomacy is an interesting game in that you don't have friends, you have mm. interests. So where should South Africa be? Well, South Africa should look very carefully to where its interests lie. Uh, are they with the European Union, with the United States? Are they with China? Are they with Russia? China is the biggest trading partner now, and China yeah. lends money to Africa without any concern for the human rights record of the country that it's lending to without any concern for the internal politics of that country. So it's unconditional loans they are making, but they are loans that have to be paid back. And that is why America has had the foreign, uh, its foreign secretary, in other words, secretary of state, the deputy president of the United States, if she's coming up uh, in, uh, towards the end of this month uh, on a, on a three nation safari, the wife, the first lady, We've had the president saying he's coming to, uh, he, he had a summit of African leaders last December and he's coming to Africa in the next few months. So the United States is seeking, uh, very muscularly to, uh, in, in a sense, counter the Chinese and Russian influence in Africa. And, and they've been offering aid. I mean, he, he's been, uh, the, they've offered aid, um, all over the place. 
and, and actual aid, not loans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to be, to be the recipient of this kind of attention can be very, very beneficial if you play your cards right. Yes. All right, JJ. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, normally we would do this on a Tuesday, but with yesterday being a public holiday, we decided to move African Analysis to a Wednesday. And uh, thank you for joining us from your hotel room in Cape Town. And I hope we'll catch up very, very soon. Get some more stories from the continent. Here's JJ Cornish. Thank you so much. You cheers to God. Cheers to to Mesh as well. And I hope you're all properly insured, guys. Cliffcentral.com.